Should we go to a quick ad break from our sponsor, Coca-Cola, Bob? Yeah. And Epic <laughs> News. Ah, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Now, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Oh, my. Murphy. <laughs> and maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Bob. Well done, Dave. That was a request from our beautiful listeners for Dave Maisler to do the theme song from Frasier. And I think you nailed it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, and you just you just hit me hard, Bob, saying that Kelsey Grammer's supporting old forty five, whatever that means. I don't know why you call him forty five. Do you not not know why? No, <laughs> but I always like to make it look like I'm like playing it cool. You know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's call him forty five. <laughs> um, it is as a tangent. He's the forty fifth president, and we don't. We rob him of power by not naming his name, just the position. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep. That's interesting. I like that. It, it does bring up, I was listening to our episode that just came out, and I was just cracking up listening to all those nicknames that we were talking about. Oh, so many good ones. Yeah. I really like it when, I really like it, you used to call him the Donald, which is just like a throwback to him in the 90s of this like joke, you know? That's true. It does kind of feel like a joke to me, that nickname. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, and I'm also just like throwing back into the days of when I really wanted to write an episode of Frasier. Mm, I felt like you had a great idea. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> you and me used to play this game. Do you remember this? We would just like, because growing up, we would... um with our dad, of course, we would watch episodes of Mr. Bean. Yes. And like he just like would always have PBS on. <laughs> Must have been weekend nights. We would be watching like Faulty Towers, Are You Being Served, and Mr. Bean. Do you remember any other ones? Those were the major ones. Yeah. There's a few like more random ones, but yeah, those are the three bigs. Yeah. But I, I feel like I never actually saw an episode of Mr. Bean because it's like it was so sporadic. I was so young. But you and me used to like sit there and describe episodes of Mr. Bean to each other. It was one of my <laughs> yes. all-time favorite games. We just like, <laughs> you know, you you make up a show title like Mr. Bean buys a Walkman or something like that, you know? Yes. And then you just like walk down the path until all of a sudden, like <laughs> you're at this point where Rowan Atkinson has like He's like on a subway listening to his Walkman and he has this like <laughs> smirk smile on his face. You know, he's like looking at like grannies and everybody else, but like really his pants have fallen down because like <laughs> yes. the whole episode, he doesn't have a belt or something like that. Oh man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And so you were able to write, I mean, you just wrote a perfect episode right there. And then you also 
got the the logic of Frasier down so well that you could just you could write a a Frasier episode no problem as well. Yeah. I don't remember what they were, but I know you <sighs> had one. <laughs> yeah, I wish I. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so out of it at this point. It's been I haven't seen an episode in 25 years probably, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you. The jokes are a little wittier for I can't quite write a a clean Frasier joke. I need to sit down in the writer in the writer's room with Nick Lane. You know what I mean? That's right. Yep. <laughs> oh, anyways, Bob. Yeah, what are we what are we talking about today? What are we going to get it, ourselves into? We um have a really interesting show. One thing I was thinking of is that there's one more hot take from last week. Do you remember that we left on? passing on the hot take to the, to this week. Yeah. Um I do remember that there was a hot take. I just don't remember what it was. That's I just remember all, all I remember was that we were going to forget it and I'm forgotten it. <laughs> no, I think I've got it. And this is a an article that was written in the New York Times. It's a little bit old now, but I think it's certainly relevant. It'll come up again. It always comes up. It's a New York Times article from September 30th of this year called The Truth About Today's Anarchists. And the subtitle is Insurrectionary Anarchists Have Been Protesting for Racial Justice All Summer. Some Black Leaders Wish They Would Go Home. And is actually just a really bad article. It's like really bad journalism. The journalist like follows this sort of conspiracy theorist um photographer around who has been to several of the big demonstrations over the summer and this this photographer guy has this theory that black block anarchists are um like the those those anarchists are the cause of all the uprisings and all or at least all the property damage and the street fights with like the white supremacists and it's just the fact that the journalist relies so much on this dude and then also just that premise is like is it's saying that there are no people of color who are anarchists and it's also saying that like you have to be insurrectionary anarchist to to want to cause property damage like it gives way too much power to these so-called anarchists and takes it away from like everyday communities across the country so Mm. i just needed to bring it up because we probably have readers of the new york times in our audience base i think for me the new york times is sometimes has some good journalism and sometimes is just awful and this was in my opinion awful journalism and yeah, I guess another thing is I am, I, I, I identify as an anarchist and I think this just is another instance of like slandering anarchists um, and anarchist perspectives, which uh, we need the reverse. I think anarchist perspectives are so necessary in today's world, like mutual aid, consensus, uh, you know, power sharing. Um, a critique of authority. So, yep. I just wanted to mention that, Dave. Thank you for giving me that space. Of course, Bob. Yeah. I, it brings up something for me. I was watching, um, 
a clip on YouTube today. I was watching. <laughs> I'll I'll just spill the beans. I was watching America's Got Talent, and I was <laughs> sometimes. I don't know. It's like one of those guilty little pleasures. I'll come home and I'll I'll be like, oh, I'll do the dishes, and I'll see like what YouTube recommends that I watch, and for like it never comes up unless I'm like just coming home and like either cooking or doing the dishes it'll be top 10 America's got talents. These, these moments are going to make you cry, you know, anyways, um, one of the ad breaks that came up and I, you know, my hands are wet. So it's like hard to, um, skip the ad. That's where they get you. It's like, who doesn't hit just immediately hit the skip ad, but it's like when your hands are wet or you're like, you know, have like five pots on the stove, it's hard to skip the ad. And I, it was an ad for this organization called, I think it's called the Epic Times or the Epoch or something like that. The ad comes up and it's like this like really slick looking like cuts and um, design and it's like on YouTube and they're like, we're an organization that's out there seeking the truth. We don't take corporate funding for our media for from anybody. We're private and we are like an independent news organization. We're the Epic Times. My thought at first was like, oh, that's so interesting because I'm like, I definitely have this idea of how all the news outlets are owned by um, six different corporations and maybe it's down to five now and I could, can't name them all off the top of my head, but like Time Warner, um, Disney is one. Um, I couldn't name the other three, but I'm sure you could get one or two. Can you, Bum? Um, like Murdoch and... I think another one is like Viacom and then like the last one or last two are these ones that I always forget as well. But yeah, you're right. Either five or six, very consolidated. Yeah. And you know, if we go back to Chomsky and think about like his critique of the media, which is like one of the most in, I mean, he is sort of part of the media, but his critique is that we, like the media plays such a powerful role, like the dissemination of information, right? And where yes. we get our news from, where we get our information is like, I mean, the idea, his seminal book um, is Manufacturing Consent. And it's all about the critique of the media. I think he wrote that probably in the 80s. Um, but it's only been like hyped up since then, right? And I'm just like, man, this guy, this like super slick ad, just like, is very targeted towards me and this organization that's like seeking truth and like journalistic integrity. All those things are exactly like sort of right in line with my thinking. They didn't say anything more than that. Um, but like every piece of me is like, I know that this is bullshit. I know that this is probably like, first of all, I know that they're owned by some other meetings corporation, right? They yeah. like, I'm my guess is that they're like Coke brothers, right? I don't know if that's true, but like that's like the feeling I got, like some sort of super PAC or some like organization that's like pushing this like alt right media. And it's like interesting that it like sort of hits on all the points that I want from my media. Like, you know, Democracy Now, it's an independent journalist that is uh, journalism that's out seeking truth without trying to like push agenda, right? Um, but it's just the way that it's delivered. Like you would never see a democracy ad now ad on YouTube with like this slick dude like talking about how he's like got all this integrity, you know? You're like Amy Goodman doesn't have time for that bullshit. She's like mm. 
you know, she's like doing her low quality audio and video production since like, you know, the seventies or now. (laughs) (laughs) She's probably born in the seventies, but you know what I'm trying to get after a little bit, you know? Yeah. You're saying that like, it's all style and they're trying to sell you something and, and your sensors went off. You're like, Oh man, they're trying to sell me something here. And I'm looking it up. David says the, Epic Times is owned by this religious group mm. called the Falun Gong, and the Epic Times news sites and YouTube channels have spread conspiracy theories such as QAnon and anti-vaccination propaganda. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, in other news, I'm like, it's funny how like anybody can be swept in like what this idea of what is a reliable source, you know, and we're about to get into like a social studies in we're about to switch from science to social studies. And like, I think that is like the biggest key that any like elementary or middle schooler could have, like being able to identify reliable sources. And I'm not saying that like, it's ever easy because it's like, that's the whole point is like the more that they can hide what, like what they're trying to do, the more that more control they have, right? Yeah. And controlling information. So um should we go to a quick ad break from our sponsor, Coca-Cola Bob? Yeah. And Epic <laughs> News. Ah, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Yeah. Gosh. No, it's We're good barely- that we don't. I'm I'm appreciative that we d- still do a DIY and because I, I I'm I really hate podcasts when they go into the some even when they're good commercials, yeah it it still bothers me. Um, so I do appreciate that we're still DIY. Yeah, I doubt we'll ever be anything but. You know, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, at some point, maybe our mom will give us a little bit of money. You know, just just <laughs> to keep the information flowing, keep those. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh no. It's, I mean, we're not, we've never been touted. We never tout ourselves as a, a news source whatsoever, or are we a advice whatsoever? We're just, I mean, that's why I, I threw that clip on at the start of last week's show where I was like, yeah, I never did realize that I would actually have some like revelations by podcasting that, that really struck me listening to the episode last week. Yeah, I like that you you chose that sound bit. That was a good one. And I like that you've said about our show that we're we're a show that brings you smiles and thoughts. And yeah, I I think that's perfect. I like that a lot. Yeah, because we're certainly not bringing advice or the news, just smiles and thoughts. Yep, exactly. Yeah, maybe a little Frasier and some references to people in our friends group. That's about all we're good for, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, sweet bomb. Well, that that went down a path we weren't expecting as per usual, but yep. I'm definitely excited to get into it as we close down season 3 this week and thinking about separation. That's right. Yeah, this is the last episode season 3 and for today's episode, we thought let's go big and let's go to maybe in some ways the ultimate separation. And so today's episode, the topic is death. 
And, you know, even just me saying death brings up probably an array of feelings and images, probably dark, maybe some sad. Um, But I want to sort of bring in this idea that's influenced by the philosopher Alan Watts, that if we talk about death and reflect on it, meditate on death, that's actually some of the most generative thoughts can come from like basically like looking death in the eyes. And I'll also start the framework here, just introducing this idea that we are a society that's very afraid of death. I think we run away from death at every angle, you know, trying to live forever, extend life as long as possible. Um, and, you know, just in every way conceivable, both like try to avoid death. And um, I want to say that that's probably not doing us any any good by doing that avoiding of death. So I wanted to hear from you, Dave, what, what comes up for you when, yeah, just that word death comes up and, and then thinking about our society as well. Does that, that resonate with you? The first thing that was coming up for me was like, what, what good is death or like what use can we make of death? Um, that was just one of the thoughts that was sort of creeping into my head. Like I want, like I've always been so afraid. Like when you say that too, it's like, yeah, I'm just like terrified to die. Like I don't, I don't really have a concept on a personal level of like, it's like an experience that we don't know about. Right. It's like the yep. great unknown and that there's like such a fear with that. Um, and it's, it's something that I will never be able to answer. We'll never be able to like, it's just, a, it's an unanswerable question. Like what is death? Right. Or like what happens after death almost. But I am interested in this idea because I feel like death can be sort of crippling. This, this fear can be very persuasive or um not persuasive but it like almost like manipulates how we live our life in a lot of ways and it forces us down paths that maybe we don't want to go down and it's not just like okay yeah so maybe we should be like unafraid and i think that that's like what what comes up for me is someone like alex hunnold i believe his name is the guy that um did free solo who oh, like yeah. Um, I guess like any, like any like rock climber that climbs without ropes, what's called free soloing or, you know, free climbing, like, and doing these insane runs. I feel like when you think about that, it's like, that's like the other extreme where it feels, that feels so alien to someone like me. But I'm also like, is he just doing this because he wants to like, He's like so afraid of death that he wants to look death in the face and be like, I'm not afraid of you, you know? So yeah, that, I don't know, Bob, I, I guess I'm floundering a little bit because I, 
I don't know if we can make sense of it. And I don't know if that's like really what we're trying to do today, but I do know that like that idea of fear is basically like at the center point of, of death for most of us. And at least for me. Yeah. So that, that fear, like fear comes up um, for so many folks when the question of death is arises. And I would, I would ask then, like where where do we learn about death? Do you think it's easy to bring up the conversation of death? Do you think we get a lot of teachings about death? Um, and if not, what would it look like to live in a society that celebrates death mm. and sort of embraces death? Yeah, it almost feels like oh, a little bit human, right? To like... My, I guess if I go way back, like on a personal level, like is it a societal feeling of like being like, are we so afraid as a society of death that like we are teaching our young people what it, what death is and like that we need to be afraid of it? Or is it like this idea that like, like as a baby, when we, someone leaves the room, they're, it's like, oh, yep, they're gone forever. Like, we don't have a, this idea of permanence doesn't exist for babies mm-hmm. and like, you know, we don't, or I think it's called object permanence, right? Yeah. And like, we eventually as humans form an object permanence, but then there's like this idea that like, well, we can never have permanence. Like there's nothing that is permanent. Like the, um, like they're the only permanent, the only thing that what is the only constant in this change, right? Yep. So like nothing, nothing will last forever. That's like one of the core tenets of physics or spirituality or anything. There is no forever, um, or at least in this life, right? So yeah. What do you think? Do you think it comes more from who we are as people or does it come more from I think there's probably like a somewhat natural fear or like mystery in death. Like it's a great unknown. So like people need cultural systems to help them make meaning out of death because it's so big and seemingly final. Um, So like, I think people turn to society and I'm definitely no anthropologist, but it seems like other societies sort of do at least celebrate death or don't fear it like Western societies do. Like I'm thinking of, this may be a cliche, but like Viking society, like celebrating warriors and like death was not something to that. Like there's no shame in death. And um, I think just other like societies seem to not have the fear. um, You know, many indigenous societies talk about their ancestors being with them and, um, Alan Watts talks about like, like rejoicing in death that he thinks there should be a rejoicing in death, uh, because life is death and death is life. You, you know, if like for flowers, you need death, you need like biomass to decompose in the soils in order for flowers to grow. So it's like a part of the life cycle, but for, for humans, we like do, do not embrace it and teach people to try to live forever. Um, and 
you know, a lot of technologies try to keep people alive for forever. So I do think there's something very much embedded in Western culture that is afraid of death and denies death. And I think there's something there that's really bad for society um, Mm -hmm. because I think it just increases that fear. And people are often talking about fear, and I agree with this, fear as like driving a lot of the ills of society. And so I think we, that, that fear of death is pretty, pretty deep in, in maybe being a root of the, some of those other fears. So if we could like reduce the fear in that root, I think it might have some, some benefits in other places in life. Um, yeah. You know, I think for example, fear in going to like, a protest or a demonstration, you know, I think that it's good to have, you know, reasonable fear to, because it is like a dangerous place. It, you know, if we could embrace people living their, their courage, you know, that, um, and I think part of it comes from like being a little bit less afraid of death, um, I think would allow for people to do more things that they want to do in life. I feel like there's a piece of me that feels like this fear of death also has created a piece of the society we currently live in where we're, because we're so afraid of death, we, we never want to be around it. Yeah. And I know that like, yeah, it's for me on a, on a personal level, like death is not an easy thing to witness, you know? Um, and whether it's the death of a person or the death of an animal, but it is like a very holy moment too. Um, the, the majority of the death that I've been around has been, um, I'm a, I'm a chicken man, Bob. And yeah, you are. always have been a chicken man. So I've done a lot of chicken slaughter and turkey slaughter in my life. And I feel like to me, it's always been this moment of like connecting as strong as I can because the disconnection feels like it, it feels tempting in a way when you're, when you're doing um, chicken slaughter to like disconnect from the moment because it is so raw and sad and mm-hmm. heart, heart wrenching. Um, but like, and like the, you know, the first, chickens are always a little bit more like that but i feel like as you realize that that disconnection from it feels worse than being connected it's like for me i've always gone to the, to the other extreme of this like deeper connecting to the chickens and talking to them and having a conversation and starting the slaughter with a ceremony and ending it with a ceremony has always been really part part of chicken slaughter day for us. And yeah, I feel like uh, on a human level, we tend to like push away that death from our lives, you know, rather than like being there and being present. And I think that maybe we feel that we feel that pushing away and the more we push away, the more fear will come into us because 
really we we do want that other side of death where we are being present even though it's like the hardest thing that we can do you know and obviously losing it like a loved one is way harder than um yeah this chicken processing day but it's still just like i think there's some parallels there and i feel like it's like you said with alan watts like we're also interconnected you know and no matter what the death is there is like a moment of like yeah, that is like kind of the basis of my spirituality is like that moment of life and death and that magic that comes, the life that comes from death and the death that comes from life. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Again, this is similar to Alan Watts talking about, you know, he has a Buddhist perspective and like he's he thinks the great, you know, meaning of life is the universe plays a game with itself about looking back at itself. And we see that when babies have that wonder for life, you know, like he says, a baby can find magic in just like a crack in the floor. Um, That that's what ultimately life is all about. And, you know, he's, it's like um, meditation and other moments of Mindfulness can allow for us to have more of those magic moments in our life. Um, but at some point, the magic is like, like fades away from all organisms. And he's, he says that's like when it's time to die, you know? And, and that doesn't mean it stops. It's like a cycle. And that's a lot. He says, like, do a thought experiment. If, if no one died, what would society look like? It would be just ever packed, you know? Society needs a cycle. So with that cycle, we, we definitely celebrate life and birth and seems, seems only fitting that we, we would celebrate death, but we don't, we certainly don't, you know, like I received an email from the chancellor of our university today saying like, I want to, uh, present to you the sad news that one of our alumni died and this person was 97 years old. And actually the first thought I had is like, maybe it's sad, but maybe, maybe that it's good for that person. I don't know. Um, but it always seems like it's automatically sad news because that's the way our, our society thinks about death, that it's always, always sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to deny the sad parts of it. I ju- I'm just trying to bring in that it's more than that. I think it's a lot of different things. And another aspect of it that I think is interesting to think about is like, what is the afterlife to you, to all of us? And I watched the show called The Good Place. Have you seen that show? Yeah, with, uh, oh, what's her name? She's Veronica Mars. Yeah, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. It's a good show. And The Good Place is like heaven. That's where people go when they die. And The Bad Place is like hell. And hell is obviously bad. But The Good Place ends up being bad too. You know, like when we think about heaven, like the way we're presented heaven it's like, yeah, you could have like anything you want every day, like infinite donuts or something. But I think we know that that would ultimately get like not good. Like that, that conception of heaven doesn't work like a hedonistic place. So, and yeah, that, that's kind of like the, the central part of that show that there is like the, what people think is a heaven is actually kind of a hell. and. 
that that seems like a critique of Christian thinking of the the afterlife. And so I agree with that. I think it's like thinking about the afterlife is is crucial for whether or not we embrace death or not. If if there's like an afterlife that's scary. And probably most of people feel like most Christians and actually a lot of like non-Christians might still believe in that type of afterlife um, in the West are probably a little bit fearful that they're going to hell, right? Because like, obviously we all sin. So probably right. there's just this like, oh shit, I, I, I'm scared to death because I, I might be going to hell. And so I think that that's a big root of this issue as well. Um, that I don't know that I rarely have this conversation with people, you know? So another instance of trying to sweep this under the rug. Right. Yeah. I'm curious, Bob. I, I sometimes think, I mean, you and I obviously for, for, for devout listeners, episode 14, nuns on the run, right? Um, uh, I think it's episode 12. Episode 12. Um, and it's, what is it called? Nuns of fury. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we know that we were both raised in, in a Catholic household, but also a radical Catholic household. Right. But we were definitely the ideas of afterlife are like so critical for those like, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth graders when you're starting to be like, Oh my gosh, like this is like, yeah, what is God? What is life? What is this? Like, can you answer this please? And like a lot of our parents' doctrine comes from the Catholic church. And while it wasn't exclusively that, you know, we were listening to Alan Watts in our household at, you know, in the middle school years when we were having a lot of these questions about what is afterlife, you know, Mm -hmm. we were, it was definitely like on the radar that it's not just like a clear cut heaven and hell. Um, and I definitely think about it every now and then. I also feel like most of the time I'm a little too busy to think about the afterlife. Yep. But I haven't talked to you about it maybe ever. (laughs) Um, Certainly not in the last few decades, you know? Um, But yeah, where, where do you stand on your ideas of the afterlife, Bob, or what is life after death? Yeah. Or what is consciousness after death or what is humanity? (laughs) I don't know. I think the, most compelling answer t- to that, um, or maybe like kind of answers, is this that it is like I like what Alan Watts says, and what I like the, the the answers that I like to that question are I don't like that there's some other realm or realms like heaven and hell that are like some some other place and not in this universe um i really like thinking both about science but also about mm, you know not just science like buddhist philosophy or uh you know cosmology and indigenous cosmologies i like that life continues in this universe and that 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 kind of like makes the most sense to me and I, I like the idea of our spirit 
is like an energy and there is like an energy that is in our bodies that's, but it's like maybe beyond our bodies and that when we die, that energy or consciousness or spirit, whatever it's called, keeps on going somewhere. Like it, it like releases into the, the universe and maybe like releases all over the place. And you know, when, when, um, dad died, I felt like he was more in me than when he was alive. Like I felt dad more in me than, than before. And so for me, that's like dad, part of dad's energy went into me and dad, I like, I'm carrying dad's spirit. And I, I was before somehow like I was before and I am maybe even more now in his death. How has that feeling? Um, you know, cause this episode will probably air like right on his, like eight years ago, he died on October 22nd. So like it will come out right around that time. But I'm curious to, to hear like, has that feeling gone increase, decrease, or like, have you like felt him? Like, I don't know. Does that question quite make sense? Yeah. I think, um, after he died, I felt like a little surge or something. And then in the years since he's passed, like it just goes, it kind of like goes up and down. Um, and dad is like most there when we name him, like when we bring him just like now, like bringing dad into the conversation is like dad's spirit. And, you know, did we choose to name dad or did dad like push himself into this conversation? Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like either way could have happened. And so I think there's, there's a magic there. And, and I, and I, when like indigenous people talk about like living like with their ancestors and like bringing their ancestors to, to them in ceremony, like, uh, I don't know, like that's, that resonates with me. And when I, when I'm thinking about like how I think about dad, um, and so, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. And, you know, I don't know that all this question is always like, ultimately who knows? I just will say like this idea of heaven and hell actually never really made sense to me, even when I was a kid. Um, just, I, I just really didn't think that like logically, why would hell ever make sense? Like, why would there be this place for people to burn for eternity? That just, you know. Um, so, for me, yeah, uh, I don't like that. So, yeah, how about how about for you, Dave? Yeah, I guess I really feel like I don't have a clean answer, but I do feel that there is this that energy that you spoke about. Um, that feels like that unknown spiritual energy that feels almost quantifiable at moments, um, that like we can tap into or that taps into us when we need it. That feels like there's something there. And I, yeah, I feel like I wasn't connected to that energy till our dad died. And then I feel like, he helped me connect to it, you know, 
I think in death and in, in losing someone that you love, we can like connect to that. And as we confront that, I think, you know, that's an important thing for us to do to confront death and be present with it at times. Because when, when we are present with it, I think we can get opened up to this, that energy and that spirituality. I have, I don't know why it feels like pretty hokey, but I've always wanted to just have a apple tree planted on top of me after I die. And I like the idea of my energy going into the apples. Um, I'm going to remember that, Dave. I didn't know that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I wonder if the the last question I wanted to ask you is, how do you think you're going to die? Do you ever think about that? Oh, yeah. Right. There's a, I do love bringing in other, um, like pop culture references as we like to do on the show, especially because it really alienates that 70 plus club. (laughs) (laughs) But there's this episode of, um, a TV show called Scrubs and it's a bunch of doctors. And like, I think as a doctor, you sort of start to see like what common causes of death are and, I think that, you know, as you see those common causes of death, you can like look at a person and see what they're most likely to die of. And I've, I've thought about that for myself, right? Like, so if I was a doctor and I could see like a commonality and like what, what I'm doing wrong, like, wouldn't it be good to like be able to have that lens and put it on myself so that I can be trying like change that a little bit to be like, Hey, if if I was a heavy drinker, then maybe it would be liver disease, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, to have that lens on me. And I'd say one of my biggest things is I eat a lot of sugar. Like, if I look at my follies or my sins or my faults or my uh, those unhealthy things, like I eat a lot of sugar. And I think sugar is such a killer way more so than any other uh like food in the united states and it's that like you know we get told this myth that fat is what makes us fat and like we shouldn't eat butter we shouldn't eat but all those all those things are myths really where we're why the united states is so fat is because we are consuming sugar to the level that's never been consumed before and mostly in the form of corn sugar but um, you know, all kinds of sugar and I just have a sweet tooth. So it's like, you know, but the other thing, Bob, is you and I, our family does not have any history of heart disease, which is typically where sugar goes to. So probably getting hit by a bus, I guess that's where, <laughs> you know, just some freak accident. Dave, I want you, I want you to look in both ways when you cross every street. Yeah. Yeah. Look left, look right. And then look left again. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. What about you, Bob? Have you thought of, thought about it in those terms? Yeah. I like, since I was pretty young, I felt like I would die in the revolution. Like, and that's changed over the years. Like when I was a kid, I thought I'd be like, uh, you know, in Cuba or something like that. And now I think, well, no, it's probably like in the streets of the United States. Uh, um, my partner 
and and our mom like really don't want that to happen and are like always tell me not to like like always be very careful when going to demonstrations and things like that but i mean i want to live a long time but i also want i want that to be the way that i die you know i don't want to die by for example sugar or getting hit by a bus <laughs> i want to get i want to die like uh, living like dying for what i love right um mm-hmm. but that that is scary to people and i understand why i mean it, yeah but so i i don't know but that that's what what thoughts come to my mind you also confronted death a little more than most people at a younger age too when you had pretty debilitating back disease and then you got some botched surgeries that sort of led you into a place to confront death. I think you were probably about 21. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Having those major surgeries on my back. Yeah. And yeah, there, it was just like to a point where you had like, you were like leaking spinal fluid, but you, I think you opted out of having another surgery. Is that right? Um, it seemed like the third one was holding. I was still having the headaches for a good couple of weeks, maybe a month after that, but it seemed like it probably closed. Um, but yeah, the, and then the whole recovery was a good solid year after that. Yeah. I, uh, what a what a time, huh? That's yeah. That's, Sorry, uh, that should have probably given our mama content warning. That was like so rough for her, you know. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yep. Who? Yeah. I don't know, Bob. It doesn't seem like we're going out with a bang this week. With this, yeah, we season. promised answers, didn't we? We promised having all the answers this week. Is that what was promised? Oh man. I know. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's good where we are. To doesn't feel as celebratory as maybe you had envisioned starting. I don't know. I don't know what your intention was necessarily, but I, I feel like that's kind of where it is. Right. And that's kind of an interesting spot to leave it. We started off this season sort of going from summer to fall and this idea of separation and this idea of harvest and this idea of, um, sort of embracing, um, the disconnectivity that we kind of wanted to feel. Um, and I think we sort of hit on that a little bit with uh, loneliness versus solitude, right? And yeah. we talked talked a lot about forgiveness this season. And I think, you know, as we go into this down down into this tunnel, it certainly feels like a winter wintry time of year as we get into November. And I kind of feel like. It is a time of like that deeper solitude and there is a, a sense of loneliness and the winter of our lives. And I don't know, it feels like a good place to leave off this fall season three and sort of lead into season four a little bit. And I don't, I think maybe we'll need to come back with a uplifting one. Yeah. Maybe I have a shot at, um, uh, broad stroke summary of this season. If I if I have like three take home uh, sort of insights, well, we yeah, doing this season like when 
not only the pandemic is really bad, but the election season and um, climate change with the fires. So like a lot of separation is a reality. So three big points for me are in, instead of us thinking about forgiveness, um, rather we should turn to thinking about accountability and forgiveness can come later, but only as sort of a result of people taking accountability for themselves. Um, and forgiveness is never a promise or never a guarantee to, um, yeah, when, when you're alone, when we're alone, like we're not ever really alone. And, um, if we can sort of feel that, feel connections to others, then that feeling of solitude comes in and can be really restorative. And then the last one is, yeah, maybe if we look death in the face, maybe there's an ability to learn something about ourselves and, and about um, what comes after and not be quite so afraid in facing the pandemic. So that, that's my, my attempt at a summary, Dave. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll leave us on a hopeful note just because I wanted to find a bit of hope for us. I mean, not that this was, I think you kind of were getting uplifted a little bit by that summary. Um, but I did want to say that I found a lot of hope this week when I was able to get out there and vote and I put my um, ballot in the box. And yeah, that felt like a really uplifting moment. And it, I felt connected to a lot of people around the country that were doing that as well. And yeah, I feel like there's some, those moments are always really nice to feel connected with, with other people and, you know, sort of be like, whoa, yeah, this is happening right now. So. Yeah, I also wanted to mention that to get people out there and inspired to look up all those uh, local ballot stuff because that's always the, the most important things too, you know? Yeah, they are. They're, they're very important as well. And to correct a uh, thing we said last week, we said no- voting day was November 4th, but it's actually November 3rd. Nice. Yeah. And um, that's coming directly... Um, from the, your favorite news source, Thriving in Dystopia. That's right. <laughs> and our mother company, Epic Times. <laughs> yeah, which is a subsidiary of Shineheart Wig Company. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, I believe you're on the hot seat. Um, yep, hit me, Bob. Last one. You ready for it? You ready? I have never been less ready. Okay, so... <laughs> If you could, <laughs> let's say uh, season four, we open with a guest. Um, who would your ideal guest be? It could be anyone in the world. It could be from this time. It could be living or not living. Um, anyone who's ever lived as our guest, episode one of season four, who would that person be? Wow. Can I give, can I give you a top three? Yeah, you may. Yeah, I would love to have Taika Watiti on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jojo Rabbit fame, what we do in the shadows, and of course, um, the voice of um, that rock man in Thor Ragnarok. Um, who else? I mean, I'm just kind of trying to think of uh, maybe someone that is like into dystopias. Or into podcasting. Right. And I guess, I mean, 
that's that's got to be Barry Obama, right? Barack, get him out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never th- I never thought you'd go into Barry Obama. All right. Yeah. Uh, no, and let's see, who else? I guess I'd like to have I'll I'll throw out a real one there. I'd like to have Tigo Connor on the show and talk about the natural world. He's just finishing up um a, a single acorn episode or they're fi- finishing up season two, which has been all about um poop in the wild as his the naturalist and it's been a pretty interesting season and i i think we'll eventually have him on the show at some point let's get Teague on the show there you go it's okay um i'm gonna put it out there teague barack or taika any of you guys can get after us and we'll get you on the show for season four there it is dave mazo you are off the epic times hot seat <laughs> the- <laughs> Man, thanks, Epic. Um, so funny. Well, um, I'll I'll give us some coordinates in a nice, um, even keeled pace. You okay. can email us at DavePeachtree at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at, at bmaze19. And gotta say, uh it's always fun to follow at bmaze19. You'll never know what post that guy's gonna like. This week, he liked to post from uh, quarterback Bernie Kozar. Yes. Uh, wishing, the, wishing the Browns congratulations on a victory. <laughs> Got a laugh out of me. Um, and yep, the website, of course, is thrivingindystopia.com. Thanks, Chris. And finally, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia on Instagram. Always, always a pleasure to see those Instagram posts, Bob. It is. Hashtag believe land. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Congratulations to LeBron as well for his big victory. Absolutely. Yep. Great game. Yeah. Well, Dave, that's the season. Wrap it up. Package it off. Send it using DHL, uh, corporate sponsor of this show this week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, thanks Bob thanks for everything and thanks for this conversation it, it was it was another good one yeah can't can't wait to see where season four takes us yeah love you Bob I love you Dave what's up driving crew Bob and Dave want to take a second to thank you for lending them your ears they also want to thank the artists for making everything a little more beautiful the intro song is in heaven by Drake Stafford our audio is edited by the consummate and dexterous Nadir Chayetch Web design by Chris the Mixer Sawyer. And of course, visual art is by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Finally, the new outro song is today's special, Jam Tomorrow by Dr. Turtle. Have a good week and see you next Tuesday. Bye.